Chapter Twelve of the Zeitgeist. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. The Zeitgeist by Lily Dugall. Chapter Twelve. The sweet-scented smoke of the distant forest fires had diffused itself all day in the atmosphere more and more palpably. It was not a gloomy effect, and familiar to eyes accustomed to the Canadian August. All the sunbeams were very pink, and they fell flickering among the shadows of the pear-tree upon Markham's grey wooden house, upon the path in the ragged green in front. Anne had pleasant associations with these pink beams, because they told of fine weather. Smoke will not lie thus in an atmosphere that is molested with any currents of wind that might bring cloud or storm. On the whole, Anne had spent the day happily, for fair weather has much to do with happiness. But when that unusual flood of blood-red light came at sunset, giving an unearthly look to a land, which was well enough accustomed to bright sunsets of a more ordinary sort. Anne's courage and good humor failed her. She yielded to the common influence of marvels, and felt afraid. What had she done, and what was she going to do? She was playing with religion, and religion, if it was nothing more, was something which had made Bart Toyner look at her with such a strange smile of selfless hope and desire hoped that she would be something different from what she had been, desire that the best should come to her, whatever was going to happen to him. That was the explanation of what had seemed inexplicable in his look. She felt glad to have worked it out at last, and if anything so strange as that were possible in Bart, what was the force with which she was playing? Would some judgment befall her? The evening closed in. Krista went to bed to finish a yellow-backed novel. As it was the last she was to read for a long time, she thought she might as well enjoy it. Anne sat alone in the outer room. The night was very still. Krista went to sleep, but Anne continued to sit, stitching at the very plain garb that Krista was to don on the morrow, not so much because she needed to work as because she felt no need of sleep. The night being close and warm, her window, a small French casement, stood open. At a late hour, when passers upon the road were few, arrested by some sound, she knew not what, she lifted her head and looked through the open window intently, in the same way as we lift our eyes and look sometimes just because another, a stranger perhaps, has riveted his gaze upon us. A moment more, and Anne saw one come within the beams of her own lamp outside of the window. The figure crossed like a dark, silent shadow, but Anne thought she recognized Toyner. The outline of the clothes that he had worn when she had seen him last, just about this hour on the previous night, was unconsciously impressed upon her mind. A shudder of fear came over her, and then she was astonished at the fear. He might easily have done all that she had given him to do, and returned by this time. 
yet why did he pass the window in that ghostly fashion and show no sign of coming to the door a moment or two that she sat seemed beaten out into the length and width of minutes by the throbbing of her nerves usually so steady she determined to steel herself against discomfort if toyner had done his work and come home and did not think it wise to visit her openly what was there to alarm in that yet she remembered that toyner had spoken of being away for some indefinite length of time she had not understood why last night and now it seemed even more hard to understand as she sewed she found herself looking up moment by moment at the window it was not long before she saw the same figure there again close now and in the full light her hands dropped nerveless upon her knee she sat gazing with strained whitened face the outline of the clothes she associated with the thought of toyner but from under the dark hat her father's face looked at her not the face of a man she thought but the face of a spirit as white as if it were lifeless as haggard as if it were dead but with blazing life in the eyeballs and a line like red fire round the rims in a moment it was gone Anne started up possessed with a desire to prove the ghostly visitant material passing through the door she fled outside with her lamp whatever had been there had withdrawn itself more quickly than she had come to seek it she felt convinced now that her father was dead she fell to imagining all the ways in which the tragic end might have come no thought that came to her was satisfactory what had bart done why had his form seemed to her so inextricably confused with the form of her father at the moment of the apparition the recognition of a man or his garments although the result of observation does not usually carry with it any consciousness of the details that we have observed and she did not know now what it was that had made her think of toyner so strongly the next morning as the day was beginning to wear on one of the fentown men put his head into anne's door do you happen to know where toyner is he asked she gave a negative only to be obliged to repeat it to several questions in quick succession seen him this morning seen him last night happen to know where he would likely be the growing feeling of distress in anne's mind made the shake of her head more and more emphatic she was of course an object of more or less pity to every one at that time and the intruder made an explanation that had some tone of apology oh well i didn't know but as you might have happened to have seen him since he came back his boat's there at the landing all right but his mother's not seen him up to the house during the day anne heard the same tale in several different forms toyner was one of those quiet men not often in request by his neighbors and as he was known at present to have reason possibly for hidden movements in search of his quarry there was not that hue and cry raised concerning the presence of the boat and the absence of the owner that would have been aroused in the case of some other still the interest in his whereabouts gradually grew and anne heard the talk about it within her own heart an unexpressed terror grew stronger and stronger it was founded upon the sense of personal responsibility she alone knew the secret mission upon which toyner had left she alone knew of the glimpse of her father which she had caught the night before 
and she doubted now whether she had seen a spirit or visible man. What had happened in the dark hour in which Toyner and Markham had met, and which of them had brought back the boat? The misery of these questions grew to be greater than she could endure, but to confide her distress to any one was impossible. To do so might not only be to put her father's enemies upon his track, but it would be to confess Bart's unfaithfulness to his public duty. And in that curious revolution of feeling, which so frequently comes about in hearts where it is least expected, Anne felt the latter would be the more intolerable woe of the two. Then came another of those strange, unearthly sunsets. Anne's mind was made up. Inactivity she could endure no longer. There was one explanation that appeared to her more reasonable than any other. That was, that Bart had wavered in his resolution to relieve Markham, that the latter had died upon the tree where he was hiding, and that Bart would not show himself for the present where Anne could see him. Anne did not believe in this explanation, but because of the apparition which she thought she had seen, because of the horrible nature of the fear it entailed, she determined that, come what would, she would go to that secret place which she alone knew, and find out if her father had been taken from it, or if any trace remained there to show what had really happened. It was when the sisters were again alone for the night that she first broke the silence of her fears. Krista, father came to the window last night, but went away again before I could catch him. Sure he would never show his face in this place, Anne? You must have been dreaming. Well, I must try to find him. I tell you what I'm going to do. I've been along all the boats, and there's not one of them I could take without being heard except David Brown's canoe that is tied at the foot of his father's field. I could get that, and I expect to be back here long before it's light. If anyone should come to the door asking for me, you say, like the other night, that I'm ill and can't see them. Yes, said Krista, without exhibiting much interest. Anne had been the deus ex machina of the house since Krista's babyhood. It never occurred to her that any power needed to interfere on behalf of Anne. But if I shouldn't get back by daylight, you'll have to manage to say a word to David Brown. Tell him that I borrowed his canoe for a very special purpose. If you just say that, he'll have sense not to make a fuss. Yes, said Krista sleepily. End of chapter 12 Recording by Greg Giordano Newport Ritchie, Florida